Welcome back to the Reptiles and Research podcast. I'm your host, Dean Sinclair, and in today's episode, we are chatting to Joe Brabin of J2B Reptiles. Now, we catch up with Joe, and we ask Joe, where have you been? Where have you been? Joe just kind of built this amazing channel and then just dropped off the face of the earth. And I'm sure many of you, like me, were wondering where Joe went. So in today's episode, we catch up with Joe, ask him where he's been, what his plans are for coming back to J2B Reptiles, if he does, and um, his thoughts on herpetoculture since he's had a break from it. It's a very interesting episode. We, had, we got quite deep into the, the feels of herpetoculture with Joe and how he's feeling since he's left. Um, and it's a really good conversation. So off to you, J2B Reptiles. JTB, what's that about? He's alive. <laughs> <laughs> I am indeed. Um, not most. So where have you been? Where have I been? Well, um, how long has it been now? So I last made a video in March, I think. Um, ago, basically yeah. just, yeah, um, universities took over really. And um, real life as opposed to the internet. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing earth sciences full time now, basically. Um, so geology and um well, basically pure geology is what I'm doing now. Geophysics, earthquakes, and um, volcanoes, all that stuff's um, my bag now. Um, I moved away from the zoology side, um, and that just takes up all my time, and the time for making YouTube videos is just gone. Yeah, I mean, you see so many people in your comments like, where have you gone, man? Where have you gone? And he's off playing with rocks, that's what he's doing. So what yeah. made you shift away from like doing like things animal based and zoology to being more like geology and stuff? Well, I, I um I'd always wanted to do zoology, right? I mean, when I was younger, I'd thought about paleontology and so on. Um and when I went to university, the plan was to do zoology. Um but I had an option in first year to to um do earth sciences as one of several options instead of physiology. And because of the paleontology side, um, and I'd read some books by Stephen Jay Gould, which I thought were really interesting. I thought, oh, go on, I'll do that as an aside instead of physiology, which is the accepted choice um, for wannabe zoologists in mm. doing that course. Um, and the first year was brilliant. Um, and then second year, I, it just sort of, I kind of, two things dawned on me. The first being that there's um, no money in the side of zoology that I wanted to have done. And two, that if you really want to make progress in it, you've got to be an applied mathematician, which I was not. Um, I like maths, but it's not what I've been taught or trained in. Um, so that left me with a big decision of, do I actually want to carry on doing this? Um, I had a major panic um, where I was thinking about leaving uni, starting again and doing the physics or maths somewhere else, and then maybe ended up in biology in the end, applying that stuff. Um, but I kept the earth sciences going um, in the background, and then we went on a field trip, and because the earth sciences I'd done was all the the um, non-mineral-based things, basically. Um, I'd left those options because they weren't relevant to zoology at all. Um but we went on a field trip and did some of that stuff. And I thought, this is actually really good. Um, and then, uh, so I, what I ended up thinking was I'll stay and I'll do part maths, part geology, and then I don't have to restart my degree or anything. Uh, but we went to the Isle of Skye in Scotland um, and did two weeks there training um, to do geological mapping. And I just thought it was that brilliant that I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do this full time now. I'm going to change, I'm going to um, switch horses and do something else with me like. So you're, you've completely gone down the geology route then? Yeah, that made me, me third year in university that I've just finished, I did mineralogy, petrology and geophysics. Wow, there's a lot of words that just went whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> so do you find, does it ignite like the passion, the same level of passion that you had for like herpetoculture? Um, hmm, that's an interesting question because it's so different. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think what what I've always really enjoyed being um, a bit of a nerd, I'm not going to lie, is uh, finding things out and developing understanding of things. Um, and I guess with zoology, I felt like I was at the limit of what I was ever going to do with that. And it like lost its, it lost its, um, its glitter. Um, but geology still got that. There's so much stuff in it people don't understand that it's got a big attraction. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I've sort of, you're probably a bit the same um, in terms of being a sort of a naturalist in terms of interests. Um, anything in the natural world get, gets me interested and geology falls into that remit as much as animals do, you know. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I live down by like the Jurassic Coast. We go down like Lyme Regis all the time, going fossiling. And you look on, obviously, you look at the uh, the cliff and you see all the like the sediment layers going up. And that is just like incredible. And it's just, it doesn't matter if you even like have like a massive understanding in it. But if someone is just interested in nature, it's still like really, really exciting. So I can imagine if you yeah. like really understand what each, every layer is, you're probably like looking at that like, wow. So when you say you felt like a sort of like, a glass ceiling almost for like zoology in what way do you think that is well like um i guess i am extremely cynical and what sort of i've come to realize is i liked evolutionary biology the most um sort of cell biology and all that i did because i had to and um, towards the end because i did cell developmental biology as an option in second year i actually come really to enjoy that more um but the sort of pure zoology it, it felt like if you wanted to push that like i say you sort of had to had to have more mathematical training than i had um and if you didn't have that then a lot of papers and things i'd see were just applications of things that they were just more examples of other things that other people had already worked out um and i really enjoy understanding new things and just finding new examples or putting things together into a statistics package that a mathematician's made didn't really appeal to me anymore so you always want to be like at, at the front trying to find new things out rather than being like lagging behind and just like following when new directions come up when people are like you want to be the trailblazer rather than the one falling behind almost and you felt like you, you, there was like a limit that you get forward in the zoology because you're doing other things like inputting uh, things that have already been set preset for you to an extent but i think more like if you already understand the theoretical basis of something um say say for example um i used to really like um i still do um cladistics and taxonomy and things and the idea of working out what organism is most closely related to what um was and still is appealing but at the end of the day if you just keep doing that then are all the papers i was i might have ever published if i'd gone down that route would they just be we've done these studies and took these samples and we think this is more closely related to that you know it's very good work it's very interesting but it doesn't really involve the new flavor of understanding that i get excited about you know it's not as impactful it's just kind of reshuffling yeah i can understand that so obviously in terms of reptile keeping then where do you stand with with keeping how is what's your relationship with herpetoculture nowadays um, so I've had to take a big step back from it because I'm just away from home that much. Um, and when I'm near home, I'm busy. Um, so, for example, summer 2020, I spent two weeks doing that mapping training thing. Then I spent a month in uh, Northern Ireland doing my mapping project. Uh, and in between that, I'm like studying and catching up studying. Um, and then at university i'm busy and then this summer like I've, I've been to different places and it's just you reptile keeping is expensive and if you're not at home to enjoy it so you start to think like what's the point um and even when i am at home i don't have the time you know years ago i used to just like sit in front of a viv and stare at it for 
an hour of, or two just to put the day in and enjoy doing it. But I can't do that anymore. Um, so, yeah, most of me things I've, um, I've sold. I'm left with um, two leopard geckos, um, my corn snake, um, a dart frog and a few day geckos because they're all dead easy to keep, really. Um, so when I'm away, it's no issue for my parents to look after them. And every, everything else that I've sold, moved on. It's wow. just the way it is. Real life hit, eh? Yeah. Do you ever think you'll get come back to it in the, at the same intensity that you did before? Or do you think you've stepped away from it now? Um... I mean, never say never. Um, I don't think I'll, I don't, I doubt I would ever have as many animals as I did again. Um, if I'm keeping in the future, it'd probably be like a small number, probably like what I've got now, or even less, like one or two animals in just really big enclosures. Yeah. It's less effort. And I've, I think you get more out of it personally. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Like at the moment, I've got hard limit on myself, and everything's going in like seven foot vivs. Every single one of them I've got is going to be in a seven foot viv, and I'm like, right. Then we can, then I'll be happy. I'll never be happy, but you know what it is. You know how yeah. it is. You, you can never do good enough. It's, yeah, it's just um, yeah. On on that topic, actually, I um, so I had some collared lizards. I had three of them and a hatchling that I bred um and kept. Um, and they were in a five by two by two foot viv. Um, the collared lizards have gone because they ate too much. Um, so it was just too much work for when I was away um, and very expensive. Um, so now they've gone. The two leopard geckos I've kept are in the five by two by two foot viv. Um, and it's just brilliant. It just is brilliant seeing them in that space. I don't think there really is a limit. There's not a limit of how big you can get. I mean, I've had someone on the podcast had their one leopard gecko had an entire room to itself. An entire God. room to itself. And its basking spot was four by two. So this leopard gecko's basking spot within its bigger enclosure is like the same size as people will put like a bit of dragon in. And I was like, and she, I was like, do you, do you ever think about getting anything else? She's like, I don't need anything else. And I'm like, such a healthy state to be in yeah well until it takes up the whole house <laughs> yeah well and and until <laughs> like you don't want a mortgage for your leopard gecko <laughs> a whole second house yeah <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting is she leaves the door open and it doesn't leave so it's got to a threshold of i've got enough space now i don't feel like i need to to, to get out Whereas Laurie as well, or Torini, does the same thing with like some snakes will ask to come out and like free roam. And then when she upgraded them, they stopped asking. So the, for, for that individual individual animal, there was a threshold of minimum space they wanted. And then they were like, ah. So that really excites me. And I'm wondering if like mm. it will change for these. So I'm wondering if there is like a true, like if you could, if there was a way to fe feasibly study it, of like you had like all these same animals and you incrementally upgraded these, this is like hypothetical, it's never going to happen, it's not even possible. If you incrementally upgraded the size of these vivariums across like a, a large sample size of all these same species, what would be like the modal number or average or even averages as well of like size before all of them were like, ah, I'm done now? Hmm. That would be really interesting. Well, it's. Yeah, but with the leopard geckos in the five by two by two, they still ask to come out, and the female really? hasn't. But um, the male has. Yeah, he doesn't. Um, so the, the I I really like leopard geckos. Um, I know they're like one of the most popular reptiles, but they aren't popular enough. Um, just leopard geckos are great. Um, but mine, I I never I never pick them up. But I put my hand out, and they know they can come and stand on it if they want to come out of the enclosure. Um, they're quite predictable. So the females, whenever they wanted to lay eggs, would desperately want out of the enclosure, uh, presumed to look for egg-laying sites or just to get away from other individuals. Um, but the the males was never as adventurous as the female I've kept. Um but he's in the five by two by two foot viv and has been asking. Um, 
I say asking, by which I mean he'll stand and wait at the corner of the door where he knows I've let him out previously and remembers that, presumably. He'll stand there and wait. And it, and it, it just interests me that. Um, why, why? I don't know. I don't, I don't, that was a statement of no consequence. It's just interesting. Um, no, I mean, like they, they, they do. Like people think we can't communicate with our animals. We can, it's just not verbal. And that's literally it. Like, yeah. how is it any different from you seeing that leopard gecko and you learn, you learning that that means that it wants to come out, right? But then it's also learned that if I stand here, he will let me out. So you two have communicated just in like a non-verbal fashion. How is that any different from the way that you communicate with a dog? Most people will be like, yeah, you can communicate with a dog. So there's this, this whole world of herpetoculture that's just still not explored yet. But yeah, it's it's funny to be honest because I've I've just said all that, forgetting um forgetting that I'm talking to sort of the hobby. Um because I spent that much time out of the social region of the hobby um and just with myself that you know i just naturally say that oh my leopard gecko's asking to come out because it feels so natural but then they remember like um the general view is that reptiles are stupid isn't it that's not true yeah there's a lot of long-held old things being like clinging on to and a lot of uh, there's a lot of internal stuff the, the, the psychology of reptile keepers is very interesting like i had this argument with this king snake keeper recently and he's like oh yeah light stress king snakes out and i'm like well clearly they don't because mine are only on one third of a barium if they don't want to be in it they won't be when they sit right out and just bask and he's like oh it's stress causing it's stress causing so he's been provided proof of the fact that that's not the case, but still was like the stress causing, the stress causing, because, and I've thought about it for a while, it's either you've been doing it for 30 years and you have to, re you option one is either you have to accept that you've been wrong and you've been stagnant and you, your care has basically been shit for 30 years. And then you, then you have to, you have to realize the fact that you've done that and all this like self-image and self-worth like this value you place on yourself as this expert on you know king snakes suddenly all of that crumbles if you accept that premise so rather than accept that and be able to grow and get better the option two is just den denialism just this cognitive dissonance of like no nope, it's not possible that they're just machines especially when you're the older generation as well back then when they were coming up and they learned everything that they thought they needed to know about herpetoculture and reptiles it was dumb food water breeds and then they've like got to this level stopped and then just carried on like just like breeding but not learning because they felt they feel they've learned everything there is to know because there's a ceiling to what the animal's capable of in their mind so the option two is like denial denial can't possibly be true so just blah, 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 blah. even even to the point where you can't accept like proof in front of your face mm. and you get a psychology yeah. student to do like do some thesis on reptile keepers like that <laughs> <laughs> i think they'd have a they'd have a, an interesting time i reckon yeah definitely do you miss it at all do i miss it and um, what aspects of it the social side of it all the social side um yeah so um explaining things to people um i mean i look i've i hate to look back at me old video well any of my videos now because it's just embarrassing really isn't it looking at yourself when you're younger um but then and now i really enjoy explaining things to people um so something i did last year is i did um some volunteer tutoring um volunteer tutor day level biology and um gcse chemistry um and like the chemistry in particular particular i absolutely love doing that um teaching people and um doing that on youtube was just it's just fantastic it takes up so much time and mental effort to get a coherent um view across explained well in 10 minutes um with a team of one um mm. i mean you you'll know that like but um Painful. doing that and yeah making something that you get to the end of it and you're proud of the finished product and people watch it 
and then leaves you a comment saying, oh, you've done an all right job there. Or then the even better ones are, okay, you've said this, but what about this? Um, and then you have to explain yourself and answer that. And, you know, you know all, that, all that side of the, the social aspect of the hobby, I really, um, really enjoyed it. Um, what I enjoyed less so is um, the dogma of which there's rather a lot in um, reptile keeping. Um, I do not miss that at all. Um, and I don't miss um, reptile keeping's fair share of um, lunacy. <laughs> it is lunacy, yeah. I always say, I was saying this to um, a friend on the phone the other day, that almost brand new keepers are in a way better keepers than long-standing done it for a long time keepers because their perception hasn't been altered by dogma and brainwashing almost so like when you think of like oh i've got this lizard okay definitely surely you need some space that's natural right or you see animals in a rack and you're like surely you can't put those in there any normal person that's not a reptile keeper would be like you can't put those in there what are you doing like and then the, the keepers are like, no, because they like tight space. And then they're like, all this dogma comes out. And then like this person gets shaped into just forced into these narrow lanes of thought. It's like, you ever think this way or this way? Because the other option is, is like, well, not the other option doesn't make sense. But the other thing I considered is why is it when a shop sells like a raw python, they're like, if you keep it in a vivarium, you have to have it in a four foot minimum. Otherwise we won't sell to you. But if you've got them in a rack, you just take it. How is it if it's in a vivarium, there's a minimum standards, but if it's in a rack, so is the minimum not four foot? So they're even just like domatic lanes like that where that lunacy is acceptable. I almost feel like the people that are just coming into it who are still thinking with common sense and haven't got all this nonsense um forced and like brainwashed into their head are thinking more clearly than those who have been doing it for a long time. Yeah, I mean, um I think. The the if I my personal view on them if you if you could rank um a keeper then a better keeper is one who is um willing to change their opinion mm-hmm. um, and the and the more well willing to change it in the face of um facts or evidence uh, which is not the same as competency or ability. Uh, the two don't necessarily go hand in hand, and experience does count for something. But yeah, just the common sense to go that shows this. Therefore, I will do the following. It's just if you're doing that, then you're a good keeper, more or less. More or less, yeah. And if you can't do that, yeah. like you need to go back to the drawing board, yeah. So you don't miss all of that then. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. It's not fun. It is. It, Sometimes you get really down as well because sometimes you just oh, yeah. get so depressed over it. Like, what is wrong with these people? And you're just saying, like, yeah, we can look after our animals really well. And everyone's like, no, no. Rah, rah, rah. And then you get some someone phone you whilst you're in the car saying we're gonna we're gonna sell information of where you live to people. They're gonna come beat you up. Like that's my life now. <laughs> like, um, yeah, the ones Ellie, like... my girlfriend, got like a, a phone call like that, which was ridiculous. So. Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah. It's like you, you've you've suggested I should use a light bulb for um the physiological development of my snake. Therefore, you deserve death. No, I don't. I don't miss that side of the hobby. No. Yeah, it's it's, it's very strange. Did you did you experience anything like that? Um, not not particularly. Um, I had I had quite a bit of um sort of hate type stuff but i think um I per- I perhaps because of my age you know i'm doing this as a young teenager and then um, look like a child then the the i think um lots of people would sort of avoid saying i'm gonna come around your house and fill you in to the child yeah. on the internet <laughs> or like you won't be walking away from donnie and shit like that <laughs> i'm like hey, jokes on you i would never go to donnie <laughs> And it's it's de- explaining the same things all the time is really draining. Make it spending um like 
four straight days making a video that explains something adequately and then on your latest video being told make a video about this when you already have that's um interesting um yeah it's tiring i mean i understand it because nobody's going to watch every video you've ever made fair enough but um all of that was tiring yeah so yeah yeah but then again when you look back at everything you've made that's going to be there forever now like there's some pieces yeah. of content that'll be there forever that really help a lot of people. So that that obviously feels good. Like, do you do you th- ever think you'll like come back to JTB and like in the way that it was before? Um, I wouldn't at the minute because my enthusiasm for that stuff's just gone. I I enjoy keeping a couple of animals I've got for myself, but um, all that side of it. I've- just i've just not got the time i'm interested in other things i want to do different stuff um which is just the way life goes i suppose um i i do just as i say i really enjoy the teaching aspect and the um the process of making a video i really enjoy um but in a in a sense as well um for my own position in the hobby um the thing I was really interested in was lighting um, and that still does interest me but you know there's loads of problems in that still that haven't been solved and technology will change but the major issue with it the major understanding um, for me I feel I feel like I'm sort of there um, and any and anything um, added on to that is just a, a an extra layer on top of there's shaving on top, yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's not I'm I'm wrong in saying that. But you know, of course there's loads more, but for what I could do myself at home, I'm I've more or less reached that limit and I'm like, but I've done that now. I'll do something else. What's the next thing that that gets me excited? I very much did that as well because I went really hard. first thing I went really hard on when I first got into keeping was lighting. Went really hard on lighting. Made sure I knew it like in and out really well. Um, power density I'm like fifty percent with. I think I get it fifty percent. I'm not like I know this in and out yet, but I kind of reached this limit where I'm like I get it now. Moving on to the next thing, so I've gone really into like behavior and and training and stuff now. But you do kind of like cap out and then like go elsewhere to like fill in the other branches um, until there's like major advancement in lighting again. Maybe you'll come back to it and be like, oh to reach the next cap but at the moment you're like just waiting on those people that are really really like hardcore like tom griffiths now and like serena like just let them go on with it don't you (laughs) yeah but i mean like i guess there's a limit to what you can do sat in your house um a lot of stuff we need is the technological development and people in labs doing proper experiments and i guess you could say to me oh why didn't i stay on that route and to keep on zoology and um, get funding and do studies. But then, like, that is your whole life um, dedicated to one problem, which has, has, like, no consequence to society, um, zero pay, um, and you're never going to take it that far. You know, it's all very good, but it's... um, I don't know. I think there are, there are grander problems to be addressed that uh, take me fancy these days. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm just too idealistic and stubborn to give up. That's that's me. <laughs> like but, uh, when I say I'm like literally through and through like reptile welfare, like literally, like wake up on the brain, go to sleep on the brain. Like it's probably it's probably a bit obsessive. But, but no one ever did anything that wasn't obsessed. No. So uh, hopefully I'll stick around. I mean, like now that this has become a job for me, maybe I'm just in it for the long haul now because I'm just like, I'm in. If that makes sense. Hmm. Well, I'd never be afraid to change horses. That's why I did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is a big brave move, that isn't it? Like just this whole big thing you built, this big channel that is still like bigger than my own, 
and you don't even touch it anymore. And you're like, eh, go do this. And just like walked away from it. And I'm like, wow, that is, that is ballsy. That is. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um... I did have a moment at this, uh, like two weeks into third year. I was thinking, God, God, what the hell have I done? I've bitten off way too much. I can't chew this. Because, um, like I say, there were, there were two earth sciences options in second year. I did one of them. And then what I did in third year was the options that follow on from the one that I didn't do, really. And had to do the catch up on top of it. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I should have just stayed doing zoology and but I, i'm glad i've done it so have you got your degree now um yes and also no um because i'm staying on for a fourth year um and it's like an integrated masters so for um for means of staying on to student finance the way the uni does it is if you're going to stay on to the fourth year you don't graduate in um third year because then you class as like a postgraduate and you don't get the same finances so it's just better not to graduate so no i haven't graduated but yes (laughs) so if you were to drop out now would you still get your like your bachelor's yeah so you're you're on on like progress to get your master's essentially yeah so how long have you got left before you like finish your master's a year. So I'll start, um, uh, well, I, I go back down on the 30th of September and then finish sometime in June. It feels like everyone around me has got a master's. My girlfriend's got a master's. Her entire family's have master's. Joe's got a master's. I'm like, I don't need to get a master's. <laughs> I might fail it, yeah, don't worry. Nah, you won't. We know what you're like. <laughs> We know what you're like you'll get that masters no no problem yeah i was going to do it like at, at um university of edinburgh like do like animal welfare as a masters but it'd be a lot of like farm animal stuff mixed in i suppose but but it means to an end in it like mm. just crafting just get as, as educated as possible i mean you can only educate people i mean you, you can only bring people up to the level that you're at so you also have to like be driving forward in your own learning to be able to even take people further the Mexican Black King Snakes having a bit of a say hello. I've been I've been watching him slash her. <laughs> yeah, she's um she's quite a nice one. I'm I'm going fully into King Snakes as well. Just going all out on King Snakes. I've got Royal Python now. Oh. Yeah, she's big. She's um way too big, actually. <laughs> I got a four foot viv and I was like it was a, it was a the shop that I worked at and she was just push her nose trying to get out this rub constantly um and then when you'd open it she'd come out and roam and like she'd be like you'd handle her and things like that and i would put out like ladders and like, adjacent ladders stood up on like their ends so she would crawl around these ladders and this climbing frame and stuff and then she just never wanted to be in there like for an entire year the, the rub was right next to the till so that like, you just saw this snake just constantly trying to battle to get out and i was like i'm taking the snake <laughs> And I put her in a four yeah. foot viv and I got her home and I realized she's four and a half foot. So so now I'm like, okay, need an upgrade, seven foot viv. So and then in the future, I'm just gonna just I wanna like breed king snakes, but I really want to like delve into this upper level of herpetoculture that hasn't been reached yet. So I've got so many ideas that I want to do. Like no one's breeding for them to have a preference for certain prey types so everyone's talking about yeah yeah like you can have hatchlings and like whether it eats pinky it survives if it doesn't then it dies and after you're like then the ones that survive are the ones that will eat pinky but that's not preference for a pinky over other types so i want to do like t-tests where like i put one one option a here then option b here and the snake will go in and if there's a preference and i'll swap the items around and if, and if the preference changes along with the item then i know it's the item then i want to like hold back those snakes and then breed breed for preference of prey type so not only will king snakes obviously do well on on mice but actually prefer it so and there's so many things i'm thinking of like we're actually working towards domestication because you can breed them to actually do better in captivity as well as like it being convenient for keepers but also better for the snake because that's actually what the snake wants there's a whole upper level 
that hasn't been done yet. Like the hatchlings, you can like lift one up and it's like cloaca opens, masks everywhere, flings its ass around. It doesn't want anything to do with you. Other ones, like they kind of like think about it and the cloaca just flaps, just opens a little bit and they're like thinking about it, you know, oh, I see you. But you can get away with the interaction if you're careful with it not happening. And some of them were like, okay, and you just pick them up and they don't do anything. So that things like that, holding that back and then breeding for, for like docility as well just there's just loads of things that i want to do that actually just make better pets but also make their lives better in captivity because they're actually suited for it rather than people are like oh yeah i just want to get like wild caught things because i want localities and i'm just like there's a whole world just upper echelon that's just like this empty void above us all that no one's reaching into and i really want to play with that interesting thoughts there um <laughs> Yeah, but none, none of that stuff's ever mentioned in there when, when I was paying attention. No, it's just me. My brain's just thinking. I've, re- I've just read a lot of like like rodent studies as well. But also, I think I might have thought of an idea to solve the CO2 of the mice problem. So everyone's like, oh, yeah. how, how do we find the right gas for the mice to not recognize it so it's not stressful before they pass out and then we crank on the co2 and kill them but we're i think we're looking in the wrong direction which we're looking at the mice so you can breed strains for different things for different drug testing stuff and breed strains that are like highly repetitive behaviors to test different like for literally they make strains of mice for well, you know for different studies why are we not breeding a strain of mice for low recognition of co2 oh. I, I see where you're coming up from there, but the CO two issue not about just um, I can't remember now. Um, was it CO two dissolving makes carbonic acid is painful? It, they is get like it? they get like acute nasal pain as well. But after a certain threshold, you need to get to a certain threshold um, over a certain amount of time. So there's a flow rate as well. So there's a certain flow rate where doesn't hurt but it's still really stressful because they evolved for like fires and stuff to recognize co2 so they, they panic and stress in like a fearful before they pass out and then they like up it to like kill them in their sleep but if you were to like expose them to co2 uh, like i don't know like i don't know what actual percentages mean in real life it's just numbers i'm throwing out uh 40 and then you have one that'll actually like doesn't do any behaviors until it's like 37 percent. it's like we'll hold that one back and then you just slowly like inch it down and down and down to like well below a threshold before you actually get to the point where they pass out before they recognize it i'm like well, this 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 levels of complexity in that because how what how is that how does it detect the co2 right because it has to exhale co2 anyway so if it's detecting like level of co2 or you know then um, ox- oxidation state in its blood mm. um, then if you have it so that it's tolerant of higher CO2 you just breathe in, breathe in mice that hold the breath effectively potentially or maybe it's just recognition <laughs> I don't know but there's, there's definitely a world to play with that. And I, I definitely, I've never seen a paper even mention that. But we've seen papers that are trying to find like the right gas. Or maybe someone has thought of it, it just can't be done. That's why they've no one's focusing on it. But I'm like, I've not seen it mentioned anywhere. I just want to interrupt this podcast just to talk to you about our Patreon series. Our centerpiece right now, Journal Club, allows you to join us on video calls where we break down papers together in a step-by-step fashion, allowing you to learn the valuable skills and how to read scientific papers and elevate your skills as a reptile keeper. We really try to install in you the skills you need to independently go off and do research by yourself. We'll explore interconnecting topics week by week. At the moment, we're working through snake enclosure sizes, and I've just put out the paper. So if you want to join right now, you'll get in just in time to take part in the next meeting of Journal Club. But that's not all. You'll also get access to Keeper Chats. You'll get to meet monthly with passionate people like yourself and enjoy the really detailed nitty-gritty talk of herpticulture. There's no set topic, just passion. And we get some really, really skilled and knowledgeable people in that you can have a really high-level conversation with. Have you ever watched a podcast and thought, oh, I wish I was in the room to talk to these people? Now's your chance. You'll also enjoy an exclusive Patreon podcast as well as get behind the scenes on the ball python deep dive and see all the footage and stuff that is accumulating right now so invest in us invest in yourself and get all the nitty-gritty details that you crave
back to your episode. I don't know. I think I think there are layers upon layers to that. There's always layers, <laughs> always layers. But like, like, like I say, like it still really excites me because I know there's this upper, like, layer that we've not even got to yet. Yeah, um, that that was it. I remember we were both at that talk about um, humane euthanasia um, things for reptile feeds, and it was it was a stimulating talk. Yeah, and then he called me Lee. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it was like, go watch this guy's channel. Lee's done a great job. I was like, <laughs> oh well, still grateful to let. He was like, this is the best video made, so I'll take it. But yeah, I I, I definitely think there's still more to be excited about. Um, and the political landscape of the hobby is not the same as when you left. It's a mess at the moment, in my opinion. I don't agree really? with a lot of things. Um. Maybe I'll tell you some bits and bobs after we stop recording, but yeah, there's a lot of tea. <laughs> so, <laughs> with like your leopard geckos and stuff, are they the original Leos you had from years ago? Um, so uh, the first reptile I got um was a female leopard gecko called Cleo. I remember um, the word Cleo. Yeah, I remember. Her. Um, so I got her in. April 2014, um, would have been 11 or something. Um, and I only had her for a few years. She was the one I kept traditionally with a heat mat and all that. Um, and then in 2017, I got a male leopard gecko, Speckles, is, which is the male I still have now. Um, so he's like seven years old now, considering how old he was when I got him. Um, and then I got two female leopard geckos a couple of years later, um, maybe 2020, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had all three of them together for a few years, and that worked fine. Um, but then the females just stopped getting on with each other. Both of them get on fine with the male. Um, but the females just would squabble a bit, and I was just unhappy with them being together. So I spent mainly because I'm not at home so much. I didn't want them to fall out properly and me not be there to do something about it because mm-hmm. that's what animals are like, isn't it? You've got to be there. Um, so I separated them and then would move the male between. Um, but what I've decided to do now, now I've like really reduced my collection, is um, just keep my favourite of the two females um, with speckles and a pair of them get on fine. Um, but yeah... Uh, so that was a long-winded answer to the question. I think the question was, are they the same leopard geckos of always? It was had? speckles, yeah. Was it still speckles yeah. is what I was asking. That's cool. And still the yeah, same corn, is it? Yeah, so um, red, I got red the corn snake. I got December 2014. Um, So uh, how old is he? He's, he's nine now. I'm just trying to think when he was hatched. Yeah, so so he's nine now. Wow, it's gonna live a long time. Yeah, we went we went to a friend's house the other day, and he's got this corn snake that's like thirty, and it's not even had like UV, you know, and it's just on like a ceramic. So you can imagine what yours has had with like the proper lighting, how long it's gonna live for. Yeah, well, it is. Um, I in the the start of me hobby, starting out with heat mats on thermostats and that being it is heating because it's what everybody said. I um. That did remarkably badly for me, um, compared to however how so many people do it. But it's just like, um, my corn snake. I kept like that for the first six months, and he like never kept food down. Um, uh, and then I think I still had him on a heat mat for a while after that, and there was like a seven month period when he just didn't eat at all. And then uh, after I moved him into a bigger vid with a ceramic heat emitter. And like it's actually warming up the air in the enclosure, that did make a big difference. Um, and he did a lot better then. Uh, the first leopard gecko I had, um, had a heat mat and did not really do too well with that until she had a, a David a ceramic and then she did a lot better. And then I moved her back to a heat mat and then she died like after a year, um, of like just stopping feeding and not seeming right. Um, 
So yeah, I, I seem to like do really badly with that, and um, perhaps inexperience didn't help. Um, but I would never keep like that again. God no, light bulbs all the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to do that for like hatchlings. Like I know some people try to justify it with like, oh, it's only temporary. I'm like, mm, is it? Because temporary is subjective. Like, like I would say, like if an alien abducted you, know let me just rephrase that if an alien abducted you now joe and you were taken you're put in this like cage and you had like these aliens were looking at you and then they were going past and someone like banging on this glass or they were picking up this tub and they were like tracking food in you'd be like am i in a zoo am i in in the farm um am i in a pet shop am i in like some sort of wet market to be eaten like you don't know or, or even like, am I going to live here my entire life? Am I only here for six days? You don't know what's happening. All you know is that the state you're in is your life. In that current moment, that's your life. And that's all you will know. And that's all that animal experiences. They don't know that you're keeping it temporarily for six months until you sell it. All they know is that I'm in this tiny ass tub. Well, I suppose... Um... I can see a line of reasoning in that if you provide the basic amenities for the animal to have what we consider normal um, development and it's not in a state of stress or discomfort, then I can I can see a justification for cheapskating it a bit because if you have only got it for a short time, then it might not be worth the investment. Um, but it's it's... The, the question for me is, is are you achieving um, what is required for its proper development? Um, so th those first few weeks are, you know, that can define the animal's life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if you have something in, you know, if you take this to the extreme case and say you've got something in an incubator um, and you have like the temperature drop or something and then you end up with animals with like kinks um as, as a consequence of that well it, that is an extremely critical time in the lifespan of the organism and once it hatches it's still pretty critical as well if it doesn't get the right nutrition at that stage it can be permanently stunted um say uh there was some study i was introduced to with um rats about organ development um, and it's a while ago I was looking at this so I'll paraphrase and probably be wrong um, but I think the gist was is that if they if you feed a rat um, it can put nutrients towards different organs um, for them to develop and if you don't if it's starved in some way um, then it will tend to direct energy nutrition to the development of the brain in favor of for instance the heart because the brain is more critical for its survival than the heart is um if its brain doesn't function and it runs around in circles all day it dies but if it's got a bit of a dodgy ticker it might last for a few months and the rat doesn't live long anyway so uh, evolutionarily speaking that's a worthy trade-off um and it and it has been and it was found, if I'm remembering the results correctly, that um, like starved rats or whatever are more likely to die of heart conditions. Well, if you extrapolate to different um, environmental parameters and say, okay, well, I'm going to cheapskate on this and I'm not going to give these snakes that I know can survive without UV, I'm going to not do it um, for the first six months until it's big enough for me to sell it. And you might go, oh, okay, well, it's it's not in stress, it's it's growing, it's seeming all right. Um, but then for an animal that can live 30, 40 years, if you keep it right, how much of that early development um, within basic, more than basic conditions, how much of an effect will that have? Uh, and nobody knows. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting... Um, debate to be had not not one that i know the answer to other than um i don't think anybody would disagree that going for 
maximum conditions with hatchlings is bad. Um, mm. I, I think I think that much can be agreed on from the offset. Yeah, because I'd sold my my hatchings before they were even hatched, and they went into setups with with UV like humid hides, deep substrate layers, and like loads of like loo rolls and things like that in there. And and then I only had had them like that for like six days before they they went to like where they were supposed to go. But I'm like, why would you? I'm like, why would I want to like deny them a good good head start? Mm. But it goes further back than that. It goes to like the actual breeding female because obviously all her vitamin D levels go into the egg because vitamin D is used for the development of the embryo. But if you've got a female that doesn't have access to UV and doesn't have like the optimal levels of vitamin D, then you've kind of like limited the potential of like the the embryos to begin with because of how much they get at the start. Yeah, well. Um... There are all these studies coming out now about this sort of Lamarckian, um, uh, what do you call it now? And I want to say inheritance, but it's not really Lamarckian inheritance. The, the idea of um, that if I break my leg and have a child, my child will be born with a broken leg. Um, in, inheritance of um, environmentally acquired characteristics, uh, like the sort of metabolic state of offspring can um can be driven by changes to the biology of its parents at the time it was born um like propensity for being um overweight can um be driven by having overweight parents when you're born i think that i think relatively recently there was some study about that in humans um so yeah, there's there's all this stuff that nobody thinks about, nobody questions, um, and you know we, we reptiles have been kept and bred for sufficiently long now that it begs the question of um, several generations removed from the wild, uh, how much, well, could we possibly quantify how different our animals are due to that, um. It's big minefield. Does it really matter in the end? I don't know, but it's interesting. Yeah, I think uh, some things like bearded dragons. Our bearded dragons are quite clearly different from the ones that are still in, in Australia now. But like things that like are still being wild caught, collected, and then like gene exchanges happening in captivity. Probably not that much. But also, there's not a lot of like. Intent, intentional selective reading for things other than just like morphs and phenotype because there's so much behavior you can breed for but everyone's like is it got stripes or is it got spots and it's like that's the surface level of it but there's so much more that you can make an animal that's like behaviorally so much different from like their wild, wild counterparts as well because you change what they value hmm. well, what was that um you were the uh, what was the name now? The um, the silver fox experiment in Russia. Yeah, yeah. So things like the floppy ears and stuff um, came uh, all of the, the them changing a different color. It was something to do with like tameness was linked to melanism or something like that wasn't it? Like they were like yeah, that's intrinsically the one. linked. It's but there's also domestication yeah. syndrome. Um, that if you if you look at um like cattle and dogs and cats and chickens and well maybe less chickens but the others that sheep um pigs there's sort of so you seem to find that compared to the wild animal the colors are sort of more blocky you know um think of like i don't know a gloucester old spot pig versus a wild boar there tend to be lighter colours and more simple patterns, but then also, you know, floppy ears and curly tails and so on. And the behaviour is changes in similar ways, um, being more amenable towards people. Um, but yeah, it's uh, 
it's interesting. There's a, there's a guy at Sparshot who ran like the road handling thing, and he was doing this mini experiment because he was also a snake keeper. And he was like, any time like a mouse or a rat bit, no, it was a mouse, bit a student, that was fed to a snake. So the only ones that weren't like, basically, is that if you bite, you're dead. So, but he was breeding them for like non-biting essentially. And what happened was they they all ended up black. So he started off with white mice, and just for just for breeding for non-biting, the entire population ended up black. Ooh. It's really interesting, well, isn't it? There's there's several things there. It could be causal, or it could just be correlate. Yeah, um, it could just be like obviously like like what's it called foundation effect of like there's a certain amount of these yeah. genes and they just happen to be like the ones that didn't buy also were like higher frequency of this and then became more homo homogenetic and blah 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 blah. yeah it could be but it was, it's always so interesting that happens in every other thing as well like things tend to get more melanin the tamer they get which is weird but it's also why like leucistic texas rat snakes and stuff are so neurotic like there's a lot of white things that are like highly strung like the champagne ball python that's really really like flighty and stuff like that so i think there's more to learn we definitely don't know hmm. see Always there's still things to get excited about <laughs> yes no I'll, I'll i'll give that um the, the genetics is very good that was that was one of the things i i, I could have done that um uh, probably a more sensible decision because cell biology ended up being the thing I did the best in in first and second year. Um, but then I just completely dropped it. Um, <laughs> uh, I could I could have done genetics instead, but then um, I don't want to work in medicine. Fair, yeah, fair. I think there wasn't really a, a like a world where you can make this job out of herpes culture, apart from YouTube. And what we were doing, um, yeah. I think you, I think you could have got there. What with, with yeah, yeah, ifs and ands and pots and pans. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. So plus a like yeah, what does it matter? If you look at your social blade stats, you're still gaining like five subs a day. Really? Yeah. How many am I on? Uh, why are you asking me? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, uh, ten point something. You you've hit ten k. I've got ten subscribers. Ten thousand subscribers. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> oh wow! I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was annoyed because I was like, can't wait to get like stories and stuff when you get to ten k. And then by the time I'm gonna get there, they've already removed it. They removed the feature before you can get to it. Don't know what it was. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, it's the same as like that Jensen's Reptiles, where you got to like seventeen thousand and just quit. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah. Wait, trust me, you'll get lured into rocks one day. <laughs> substrate, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, just just take the substrate and just go back one step to when it was still a rock and it hadn't been eroded, and you're golden. So you're going to get a raw python because it's pet rock. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Smooth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't mean that. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, the royal python's the only one I never had. Um, don't stop I've moving. Sort of the the uh, big, big five, as it were. Yeah. Five? You yeah, can have a five. king snake. You can have a king snake. Yeah, I'm th I'm thinking like bearded dragon, leopard gecko, crested gecko, corn snake, royal python, probably the yeah. I'd say yeah. king snakes in the, the the ten. I think it's periphery, but up there. Really, it used to be in like the eighties and nineties. It was like king snake. That's the place to be. I was just... dead back then. <laughs> <laughs> they've uh, they've somewhat dropped off, but I swear to God, I'm going to bring them back. Just you. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah, I've got plans. I, I've um, I bought a domain, kingsnakesandmilksnakes dot com. Don't know why no one had that, but okay. So I've got plans with that, but got too many plans. 
Sounds like it. We're going to Ghana um, next year, hopefully. How long for? Well, it depends on how much money we have. Um, need to properly, like, literally look into the cost of food and everything, but a week to two weeks. Like, it's meant to be two weeks, but if things are really tight money-wise, then a week. We had, we had, they were like, yeah, we'll give you five grand to go, right? I was like, cool, cool, yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a whole entire meeting about it, like Zoom call. They're like, yeah, we're doing it. We're just going to like make sure we have that in the marketing budget and get back to you. We're definitely we're definitely doing it. Right, cool. Month goes by and I'm like, they haven't said anything. I was like, I, I emailed them and they were like, so what's going on then? Like, um, no pressure or anything, but did you get the marketing budget confirmation? And they were like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. I'm like, thanks for letting me know then. There was me thinking, yeah, I've got the money now. And I was like, yeah, we're going to Africa 100%. We've got the money. And all, all while you know, we're like, we're just not going to do it. But I'm not going to tell them either. Like, but um, this breeder of hognose in the US was like, I sold a five grand snake. But instead of them paying me, I'll just get them to donate to you. So we we, we might limp by and get there but we weren't going to go with like the certainty that we did when we had like someone's word that were giving us five grand, but we're going to, we're going to try. This is to look at the, the uh, Ghanaian geology, right? Yeah. We look at some Ghanaian rocks. <laughs> oh. I don't know what we've got there. Could be interesting. Lots and lots of pet rocks. Mm. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently. Belong in Iraq. What time of the year are you going? Um, we're gonna get go, well, it's gonna be during the wet season. Uh, what we need to do is find the point where it's the optimal like peak of all the birds like um fledging. So I really want to get some try and find some like um predation behavior if we can. Um, and I thought that would be like uh, the easier way to find that would be like some parent birds like kicking off, then just like head towards in that direction. Because if, if a snake's raiding a nest, the parents are gonna be like or if they're there that is they might just eat it when it's not there but i mean hopefully we go through this like week uh this peak window um go then but it's gonna mean like malaria tablets and all that stuff and exciting do you think you're gonna do any more videos i know you were telling me about something you've got planned is there something that you wanna yeah so i um I was saving up light bulbs uh, for a long time that had been blown um, for the point of making a video and I was going to knock them open and uh, for the video and all that um, and just do like a, a real clean sweep of finishing all the stuff that was my interest and where I left it at the end and practical applications. Um, but I've just, I have not had the time to do that video. So um, I've threw together about 20 slides um, for a lecture style presentation, um, which I'm hoping to record. Um, and that, that'll that be it. That'll be the end of the story. That'll be like the season finale of JTB. Yeah. Wow feels so weird because we started it like well we didn't start at the same time but like you were on the channels that i like started watching before i started and it's just so weird yeah i am um, i must have been when i really started doing videos regularly and getting into it i might have been 14 wow and for like a Maybe two and a half years, I made a video every single week. Um, then I had a few months off for end of secondary school exams. Um, then carried it on in college, making videos nearly every week. Um, and then I went to university and made the odd one. Um, and it's just fizzled out, I guess. Yeah, that's a look of disappointment. That you've is. been doing it for so. It's not that. It's just like, like no one can make you do something you don't want to do. If you're not in love with it anymore, you're not in love with it. But it's it, it, it's like watching like a season of a show, and then it's like, 
like Netflix doesn't like renew it, and you're like, what? That's the feeling. Like that's what it feels like. <laughs> Sounds like that was a compliment. Yeah, it's like you were you were literally probably not counting my own. I would say you were probably the best channel on YouTube at one point. Oh, stop it! I would no, I would, I would say that. Like, I think <laughs> in terms of like the lighting stuff, like you were top. Um, as a, and then and then yeah. It's part from like snake training and stuff because if it's, if it's that, there's glory. But I mean, like for general, like lighting and things like that, and like across the board, I would say it was probably the best channel at one point. Thank you, sir. That's all right. I mean, the bar wasn't very high, was it? Let's be honest. No. <laughs> it was a bar. Exactly. The bar is so low, it's subterranean. Yeah. It's down with the rocks. <laughs> It's it's below the Mahorovicic discontinuity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is there anything that you want to say to all the people that have been sat there thinking you're going to come back and anything you want to say to your fans that have been waiting? Yeah, I guess so. Um, thank you. It's a big one. Because, um, you know, I had a blast doing it. It was bloody stressful and largely thankless. But I I, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it a lot and people tuning in and giving feedback and asking questions and um, all the productive stuff that went on which I, was the majority of it um, I loved that, I still do and I miss it um, but like life's life um, other, I've got other things that really interest me a new new route to explore um, and that's that's the way I'm choosing to go um, and uh Hopefully, I'll get opportunities to do things like that again. Um, you know, work and produce things. But yeah, no, it's it's um, it was uh, a privilege to have communication with so many people who were interested and had things to say. And yeah, so ma- mainly just thank you to those people um, for being there and tuning in. What a send off, eh? Who's cutting onions in here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a way to say goodbye to JTB Reptiles. Well, I, hopefully, I'll, I've, I've made the slide, so I'm halfway there. I'll do the, the one last, um, the last hurrah in there. Yeah, hopefully. I think that is the perfect place to, to, to wrap that up. So, for the last time, but hopefully not for the last time. Thank you very much, JTB Reptiles. Thanks very much for having me on. <laughs>